Section 36 of Anecdotes of Dogs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Jackson. Anecdotes of Dogs by Edward Jesse. Final section. On the Feeding and Management of Dogs. Gathered from Various Authorities by H. G. Bond. A few words may not be out of place here on the feeding and management of dogs. For all else which concerns canine science, the reader cannot do better than consult, among modern works, Uat on the Dog, Blaine's Canine Pathology, the article Dog in the Encyclopedia Britannica or Penny Cyclopedia, Hutchinson on Dog Breaking, Radcliffe on Fox Hunting, Mayhew on the Dog, or Colonel Hamilton Smith on Dogs forming two of the volumes of Jardine's Naturalist's Library. The natural food of the dog is flesh, and it is found that those in a wild state prefer it to every other kind of nutriment. But as raw meat engenders ferocity, it should not be given too freely, especially to house-dogs and such as are not actively exercised. The dog can subsist on many kinds of food and it is a curious fact that when fed entirely on flesh he will sometimes get lean because as has been well observed it is not on what animals eat that they thrive but on what they digest the diet of sporting dogs in full work should it is said by some consist of at least two-thirds of flesh with a judicious mixture of farinaceous vegetables but there is great diversity of opinion on this subject and in france they are fed almost exclusively on soaked bread Dogs, it is generally said, should have free access to water, and the pans be cleaned out daily. But some feeders, we are told, and it seems strange, limit the supply of water and substitute moistened food. A piece of rock brimstone kept in the pan will be found useful. Although the dog is naturally a voracious animal, he can endure hunger for a very great length of time, and be brought by habit to subsist on a very scanty meal. In the Memoirs of the Academy of Sciences, it is stated that a bitch which was forgotten in a country house where she had access to no other nourishment lived forty days on the wool of an old mattress which she had torn to pieces and digested. An extraordinary instance of a similar kind occurred with a terrier bitch named Gypsy. One day, when following her master through a grass park near Gilmerton, it happened that she started a hare. During the pursuit her master suddenly lost sight of her, and in a few days she was considered either killed or lost. Six weeks afterwards, a person happening to look down an old coal pit was surprised to hear a dog howling. He lost no time in returning to the village, and having procured a hand-basket, let it down by a rope into the shaft. The dog immediately leapt into it, and on being brought to the surface proved to be gypsy, worn to perfect skin and bone. How had she existed in this subterranean abode, and what she had found to support her there it is impossible to tell. Staghounds, foxhounds, harriers, and beagles are generally fed on oatmeal. Some add well-boiled flesh to it once in two days, and the older the meal is the better. Store sufficient for twelve or eighteen months' consumption ought, therefore, always to be kept by those who have a pack and before used should be well dried and broken into grits but not too fine it is best kept in bins in a granary well trodden down 
Some persons are in the habit of using barley meal, unprepared, but this is thought by many to be less nutritious. Others are of opinion that oatmeal and barley meal in equal proportions form a preferable food. In either case, the meal should be made into porridge, with the addition of a little milk, and occasionally the kitchen offal, such as remnants of butcher's meat, broth, and soups, the raspings and refuse of baker's shops, or hard coarse sea-biscuit, sold as dog-biscuit, well-soaked and boiled with bullock's liver or horse-flesh. Well-boiled greens, or mangelwurzel, boiled to a jelly, are an excellent addition to the food of all dogs, and may be given twice a week, but they ought to be discontinued during the shooting season with pointers, setters, cockers, and greyhounds, and also during the hunting season with foxhounds, harriers, and beagles, as they are apt to render the bowels too open for hard work. Flesh for dogs should be first thoroughly boiled, and then taken out before the oatmeal is added to the broth, and left to cool. Indeed, some feeders think that the food of a dog should always be perfectly cold. At any rate, care must be taken not to serve it too hot. Although in general dogs are sagacious enough not to scald themselves, as we see in Landseer's exquisite little picture on the opposite page. Dogs which are hard-worked are by some said to be the better for having two meals a day, a very light one of mixed food in the morning before going out, and a full meal, principally of flesh, on their return in the evening. But, as a general rule, one good meal a day towards the evening is sufficient, and they may be left to pick up what they can. Indeed, the dealers never give more than one meal a day. Bones to pick may be allowed them occasionally, but hard bones in excess are likely to wear and damage the teeth. Nothing is better than paunch, tripe, or good wholesome horse or cow flesh boiled, and the liquor mixed well with oatmeal porridge, the quantity of each about equal. If horse or cow flesh is not to be had, graves, in moderate quantity and well scalded, are a tolerable, though not very desirable, substitute. They are generally broken small, mixed with about one-half the quantity of oatmeal, then thoroughly soaked in boiling water, and well stirred. Or, a better way still, is to boil them together like porridge. Dogs, like men, require a change of food, and it has been strongly asserted that barley meal and oatmeal, without change, predisposes to cutaneous disease, and even produces it. Therefore, a judicious feeder, like a good cook, will contrive to vary his bill of fare, porridge and milk, dog-biscuit, farinaceous food, the scraps of the kitchen, the offal of bullocks or sheep, which should be well boiled, make an excellent variety. But we would by no means recommend too frequent a repetition of the latter food. Potatoes are also good, and although not so nutritious or easy of digestion as oatmeal, are less heating. Care should be taken never to present more to a dog than he will eat with a good appetite and when oatmeal and barley meal are given mixed, the former should first be boiled for twenty minutes, and then the latter added, and boiled only for about eight or ten minutes. This meal should, however, never be given in the hunting season, as it is too heating, and occasions the dogs to be perpetually drinking. Their food ought, as a general rule, to be given to them pretty thick, as thin porridge does not stay the stomach so well. The feeding troughs for hounds should be sufficiently wide at the bottom and carefully cleaned out and scalded with hot water every second day. 
During the hunting season, hounds should have sulphur mixed up with their mess once a week, in the proportion of three drams to each. At the end of the season, the same quantity of sulphur should be given with the addition of one and one-half drams of antimony. After a hard day's work, a meal of horse-flesh may be given them, as fresh-killed as possible, or bullock's paunches or sheep's trotters, all of which should be well-boiled. Greyhounds should be fed principally on animal food, such as sheep's trotters, or neat's feet, boiled or stewed down and mixed with bread, and given moderately in the morning and afternoon, the dog never being allowed on any occasion to eat a great quantity at once, or on the other hand meat, as it will enlarge and strengthen the muscular fibre, without increasing the cellular tissue and adipose substance, which has an invariable tendency to affect their breathing. The butcher's meat should be of the best quality, and not over-fat, as greasy substances of all kinds are apt to render the body gross and the skin diseased. After they have been coursed, they should be well brushed, a little oil being used in the operation. The kennels of greyhounds should be kept comfortably warm and dry, be frequently replenished with dry and clean straw, and properly ventilated. Indeed, nothing is more essential to the health and efficiency of all dogs than pure air and cleanliness. Their beds should, if possible, be placed on a wooden bench, or at least on some dry position. On attention to cleanliness depends, in some degree, the dog's exquisite sense of smelling, for if accustomed to strong or disagreeable effluvia, he will be but ill-adapted to trace the fall of a deer, or scent of a fox. Indeed, even animal food, too freely given, is said to have a prejudicial effect upon the nose of a sporting dog. A dog employed in watching premises should not be needlessly exposed to the damp or cutting night winds, but placed in as dry and sheltered a situation as possible. If kept in the dwelling-house, he should have a place appropriated to his night's rest. This may be an open box, or a basket, with a piece of carpet or blanket, or clean straw at the bottom. If either of the former, it should be often beaten to free it from fleas or nits which soon infest it, and frequently washed and dried. Damp is exceedingly injurious to dogs, and is very likely to produce diseased lungs, rheumatism, and lameness in the shoulder and limbs. To the preceding instructions, for which the compiler is chiefly indebted to the works of Captain Thomas Brown, Uwatt, and Blaine, and to the practical information obtained from Mr. Herring of the New Road, and Mr. William George, an extensive dog-fancier at Kensal Newtown, may be appropriately subjoined a lively chapter from the recent work of Mr. Francis Butler, a leading American authority on the subject. It is more important to understand the management of a dog than to be possessed of a thousand nominal remedies for the cure of his various ailments, inasmuch as the antidote is at all times preferable to the cure. I shall first throw out a few hints on the management of pets. Whilst many are sacrificed for lack of necessary attendance, there are thousands who perish prematurely from overdoses of kindness. Delicate breeds of dogs certainly require great care and attention in rearing, but overstrained tenderness is often more dangerous than culpable neglect. The dear little creature that is allowed to lay under the stove is stuffed with delicacies two or three times a day, and is never allowed to breathe the fresh air except under a cloudless sky, 
is more subject to colds, fits, rheumatism, sore eyes and ears, worms, etc., than the worthless mongrel which was raised on the street, neglected, and despised. The tenderly nursed pet is affected by every change of atmosphere, and is subjected to a variety of diseases unknown to the dog that has been hardened from his birth. I ask you, then, neither to stuff nor starve, neither to chill nor burn. A house pet should always have a sleeping place allotted to him, warm and comfortable, not near the fire, nor in the damp. Anything round is best for an animal to lay in, such as a tastefully ornamented box. In cold weather it should not be larger than to contain him comfortably. It is best for the following reasons. He may keep himself warm, and his bed may be made exactly to fit him. It also takes up less available space than any other shape. He should never be fed to the full, neither excited to eat when he appears disinclined. Lack of appetite, so common to pampered favorites, is generally the result of an overloaded stomach and disordered digestion. This is easily cured by medicine, but more safely and simply without it. Fast him for twenty-four hours, after which keep him on half his ordinary allowance. If this agrees with him, and he keeps in fair condition, continue the regimen. Nursing in the lap is injurious, not in itself, but the animal is thereby subjected to constant chills in emerging from a snoozy warmth to a cold carpet or chilly bed. A dog accustomed to the lap is always shivering after it, and renders himself quite troublesome by his importunate addresses. A moderate share of nursing is well enough, but should be indulged in only as an occasional treat. Great care should be taken in the washing of delicate dogs. When this operation is performed, they should be rubbed perfectly dry, after which they should be covered and remain so till the shivering has completely subsided. Footnote or if the weather be fine and warm, they may run out and dry themselves. End of footnote. The water should be only blood-warm. It is far better than hot, and not so likely to give the animal cold. Injudicious washing and bad drying are productive of running sore eyes, more especially visible in white poodles, where the hair is long and woolly, retaining the moisture. Once a fortnight is often enough to wash any dog but a white one, Washing has very little effect in the destruction of vermin. Fleas can live some time under water, which I have often thought only makes them bite the harder and stick the closer when reanimated from their temporary torpidity. If butler's mange liniment and flea exterminator cannot be obtained, the animal may be well sodden with soft soap and washed about ten minutes after. This cannot be done with safety except in warm weather. In cold weather the comb may be used immediately after the application of the soap, as the fleas will then be too stupid to effect their escape. Butler's liniment destroys all vermin instantaneously, without risk of injuring the animal, and the quadruped may be rinsed one minute after. No flea will remain alive. The skin will be thoroughly cleansed, and the coat beautified. Dogs should never be allowed to suffer the torment imposed on them by these detestable vermin. If the owners could only realize the importance of ridding them of these ever-noisome pets, there would be far less of snappishness, mange, fits, etc. I have seen animals literally worried to death by fleas, perfectly exhausted from incessant irritation, at last worn to a skeleton, and gradually extinguished by a creeping consumption. 
Besides, who, for his own personal comfort, would not rid his immediate vicinity of a worthless mob of bloodsuckers awaiting the first favourable opportunity of regaling themselves on human blood? If your dog lie on straw, burn it once a week, as fleas harbour and propagate in the tubes of the straw. If the bed be carpet or anything similar, let it be often cleansed or changed. Vermin revel in filth, and their extirpation depends mainly on cleanliness. By attending to the general health of a dog, much disease may be avoided. Indeed, this is far more essential than prescriptions for a cure. It is very easy to carry off a slight indisposition by gentle purgatives and a reformed diet, whilst confirmed disease is often difficult to combat, as few of the canine race can have the advantages which are oft-times essential to their restoration. The eyes, the nose, the gums, the hair, the breath should be carefully noted. The eyes may be red or pale, sunken or protruded. The nose may be hot or dry or matted with dirt. The gums may be pale, etc. It will require but little experience to discover a disorganization, which may be easily detected by him who has noticed the healthful appearance of the different parts and their variation under indisposition. If you are in the habit of keeping your dog on the chain, let him at least run a few minutes every day. If he be kept indoors, he should also be allowed a little daily exercise outside. Change of air, footnote, sea air, however, especially during long sea voyages, perhaps in connection with salt meat, has been known to produce the distemper in dogs. End footnote. And diet will sometimes renovate when all remedies fail. A change from city to country, from greasy meat to fresh milk, from a confined yard to the green fields, will generally recruit him without the aid of medicine. Nature, to whom physicians are so deeply indebted for so many wonderful restorations, often effects a cure unaided, which might have been defied the efforts of apothecary's hall. In summer particularly, be careful to provide a supply of fresh water and a cool shelter from the sun. Never take your dog out during the intense heat of the day. This is very apt to produce fits, often resulting in sudden death. Early in the morning is preferable for summer exercise. The kennel should be located in a shady spot during the summer. In winter it should be sheltered from the wind, and so placed as to enable the dog to enjoy the sunshine at will. Above all things, never chain a dog where he cannot screen himself from the sun's rays. He must have the option of sunshine or shade. He should not be allowed to drink water that has been standing in the sun, or is otherwise damaged. If you should chance to forget to feed him for forty-eight hours, he should not run as much risk of injury as during three hours of thirst in hot weather. There should be a piece of joist under each end of the dog's house to keep it off the ground in order to avoid dampness. In summer, an excavation two or three feet in depth should be made under it and left open at both ends, that the animal may have a cool retreat during the heat. Those who do not object to a trifling expense may have the house posted on a large paving stone, with an excavation under it, as before recommended. All burrowing animals seek the earth in hot weather. Everything on the surface is heated. Their own instinct dictates the most reasonable method of sheltering themselves from the heat, at the same time absorbing the cool exhalations from the ground. In southern climates, especially, this method is all-important. 
in this manner i have kept dogs from the polar regions in comparative comfort whilst many native-born and neglected have been scalded into fits paralysis rabies or hydrophobia in the hot season with young dogs raw meat should be avoided except it be quite fresh and then they should not be overfed especially if debarred of abundant exercise and excluded from their own natural medicine grass a dog will often thrive better on raw meat than any other food and will grow larger but he should be fed with discretion and his health attended to should his diet visibly disagree with him footnote house dogs fed on raw meat bones and liver soon become offensive neighbors the more so in proportion to their want of outdoor exercise and footnote he will grow fatter and be more healthy on moderate meals than if overgorged the better plan is to ascertain his average consumption and then allow him a little less keep his digestion in good order and disease will rarely trouble him his coat and ribs will generally indicate whether he be sufficiently cared for whether he be sick or sound in his digestive organs feed him always in the same place and at the same hour once a day is sufficient if he be over six months old by being fed once a day he is less choice and will consume what he might refuse if his appetite were dulled by a previous meal should you require your dog to be watchful at night feed him in the morning if you would have him quiet at night feed him late and don't leave him bones to gnaw dogs are pretty quiet during the digestive process when left to themselves and should not have much exercise after a heavy meal they should only be lightly fed before training lessons or on sporting days on the latter occasions a little refreshment may be administered as occasion may require those kept indoors should be allowed to run a little after meals when they generally require an evacuation if a dog be regularly exercised he will seldom even soil around his kennel and a healthy house pet is rarely troublesome except after eating if a dog be uncleanly in the house he should decidedly be broken of it although it would be useless to correct him unless he has a fair opportunity of avoiding it he should be invariably taken to the spot be sufficiently twigged there and unceremoniously scolded into the yard the punishment will be far more justly administered if the animal be let out at regular intervals this being done he will not attempt to infringe the law except in cases of dire necessity i am satisfied as a general rule that a well amalgamated mixture of animal and vegetable is the most healthful diet for dogs of all ages breeds and conditions dogs living in the house should on no account be fed on raw meat as it gives them a very offensive smell and is in other respects very unsuitable end of final section on the feeding and management of dogs end of anecdotes of dogs by edward jesse